Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Well, John, you know, the Cures Act was supposed to give patients easy and free access to our own medical records, and I still find it awfully hard to get mine. Do you think the system is just incurable? Well, it certainly feels like it if you're ever trying to get your own personal healthcare information, but we've got a great guest to share his perspective on just how we might cure this mess and get people access to their own healthcare information that they need when they need it. Welcome, Carm. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Great to be here today. So, Carm, hey, can you just give us a quick outline of of who you are and what Credo is? Yeah, the absolutely. Company you just founded? Yeah, we we just founded it. Uh, you know, just a few months ago, this this company launched. Uh, you know, my background was I was the former CEO and founder of a company called RX Review, which became the largest cost transparency network for doctors at the point of care. So I learned a lot about working with with payers, providers, and data uh, in that business, and really am now translating that success and experience into building Credo, which is really, at the end of the day, about helping patients get a complete record uh, in their hands. But our approach is really unique because we're not trying to come out as another personal health record company. Uh, and uh, uh, we can talk about that more today, which I'm super excited about. Well, that sounds great, Carm, and I'm glad John teed it up uh, that way. But I want to know, like, I mean, who cares about getting access to their medical records in their hand? What am, what am I going to do with that? I got I got a bunch of mail and a bunch of junk around the house. I'm going to have my medical record. I'll wave it around. All it's going to show is that I'm healthier than John. Yeah. So, uh, you know, let's which, check which, that record. Yeah. <laughs> I think we need a post podcast check on that fact. That's a good fact check uh, as, we're in, as, as we're in a fact check news cycle these days. But um I think it's so interesting because if everybody, if you remember, and I remember the the attempts by Microsoft and Google to do this whole health record thing. Now, this was the late end of the first decade and uh, of the 2000s, and it was just too early. Um, these companies, we were still, um, you know, head of he heavily embedded in the ways of doing this, which are still happening a lot today uh, in phone and fax. And, and so they try to launch this whole idea, and we've probably had this idea for a couple of decades now of your personal health record or your PHR. Um, and, and what we came to realize is that the reality of this, which is crazy, is that patients don't care. You know, we've interviewed a ton of patients and patients are like, well, what's the point? I have my record in this drawer over here and it's just sitting there. Who cares if it was sitting on my phone? It doesn't mean anything. And um, I'll, I'll work backwards through the reasons here. The first thing is, I, it doesn't matter until it matters, right? Until you actually have a health event where you need to get your record. Maybe you're going to see a new provider, or you're going to see a specialist, or you just got discharged from the hospital and you're moving to out, you know, an outpatient facility. That's when it matters that your record really needs to get somewhere to help um, you and your provider or your payer um, better take care of you. And, and there's a sad state of affairs that about three of every 10 tests today are duplicated because they can't track down the record. That is an, an, an astounding statistic. I um, mean, you think about how much cost is wasted and how much extra dollars patients pay to have a bunch of tests redone where it's sitting right in their record. Now, the, the, the other thing that's a real shame is that, and this is what really led me to really pursue this idea, was that there's still 9 billion fax pages per year in the U.S. going around. Hey, Carm, what's yeah. up? But, but, you know, before you, before you start rolling into your shameless promotion of your business, <laughs> what, 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 is the, what is a fax machine and why do we need to use it? I mean, for those who've never seen or used a fax machine. Yeah. Like, what is that? 
Yeah, I it the this just blows me away that we're still using fax machines at this scale. When when if today sort of the traditional process, let's say I'm at a new provider, you have to you as a patient have to go and the first thing you have to do is this HIPAA release form. So you go and you literally sign a piece of paper and and the majority of it is still done by paper today. And I'm sure all your listeners would would sympathize with this. They've probably done it. HIPAA is that privacy thing where they show you a complicated set of things when you're vulnerable and confused, angry and waiting. And it's a way to kill the time. They give you a, a, a multi-page form where you give away the rights to your private information. I mean, as far as I can tell, it's supposed yes. to be protected it, it by the Healthcare Information Protection Act, what that HIPAA thing is. And the first thing that happens anytime you go anywhere in the healthcare system is you take those protections and you give them back up to the provider. I, I, it's a little bit confusing. And if you go to multiple offices in the same hospital, you'll often fill out the same form. So that's what we're talking about there. But how does that tie to this whole patient record thing? Yeah, so that that form is giving your provider sort of carte blanche access to go out on your behalf and fax over this form to any other provider and say, if you have records on this patient, I want you to fax them back. And that today is the majority of how records are sent around uh, the U.S. You know, we talk about all this amazing technology and AI. <laughs> it turns out that, the you know, when you get on the ground with most of these clinics, um, with providers on the ground, with patients, this is the way data is really shared today. Um, and so, and and the, the sad part about this is the, the doctors then getting back this sort of e-fax or fax paper, which is unstructured. Uh, and then they're sort of like appending it to their the patient's medical record. Well, but and be, maybe before you go out. there, before you go there, I'm still trying to figure out, David, why he's evading the question of why I should care. Like, why <laughs> well, does John, this it sounded matter? like you know, you know, on the duplicative test, some people like that. You know, I know you you always enjoy an extra burst of radiation in case you know you have your X-ray to be redone or a little poke in the behind to take some fluid out of your oh. you know, out of you for a test. So I mean that's one reason my people might care if they're going to have a less of a you know less test duplicated. And I guess hey, we but all I think you're you you're you're what? you're missing your history here. I mean your buddy President Bush uh, actually set up the information exchange and technology as an initiative with our with our other friend Mike Levitt was the secretary of HHS, and that was supposed to set up the basis of the electronic highway. Uh, why we went back to rail yeah. for information, information is another matter. Information and then there was the Then there was the Meaningful Use Act, and President Obama took credit for infusing hundred, tens of billions. I don't know, Carm, you probably know. It was supposed, maybe to, be, it was supposed to be 50 billion, yeah. 50 billion. It was probably closer to a hundred that was a one-time massive subsidy to help wire the system all around the promise that more access to longitudinal, that's detailed information about you, David, over time, uh, would be able to, we would be able to determine how to better care for you versus CARM, uh, even though well, you, you're, you're, you're both kind of relatively healthy guys. I mean, it's, I it's, it's, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I think this, 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 there's something bigger here that both of you guys are missing the point on. That's supposed to be the promise of information that's still yeah. embedded in all these dumb forms and, 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 um, you know, fax and, machines from the Flintstone era. Yeah. And John, you're so spot on there because that was really a big aha for me in that I really believe that someday, soon, hopefully in the next decade, um, 
we all have full longitudinal access to our medical record and it's at our fingertips and it's a commodity. It's not as expensive, right, as it is today to get access to it, right? It's just there and available and I can share it but with Carm, I want. don't you think that the reason why people don't think it's relevant is they've heard about this from President Bush. They've heard about it from President Obama. We've got this notion that these, the, the, you know, the Star Wars geniuses at Google and Microsoft have figured this out and yet we're still, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about um, digital, but we're living in analog times. I mean, it just, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't, I, 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 what, what's going to be different this time? Yeah. I mean, I think, look, the first thing is that um, we have, I think, real teeth. We, we have both technology infrastructure and standards that are here now. And, you know, when we started RX Review, for instance, we started working with a standard called FHIR, which is F-H-I-R, to make healthcare data portable in a standard structured way. That is finally, it's taken a decade, but it's now everywhere. There's, it's in its fourth version. We have a standard structured way to, number one, to move the data around. The second thing that's a really big tailwind and, here- And just, just to double click on that, since David's still worried about his multiple tests and whether he has to pay his co-pays, is by standardizing information and setting up a standard, it's basically a translation device to simplify and make the ability to kind of read write from any record to any system, whether it's sort of a hospital, a doctor's office, or your or your or your home computer, David, you could put it in your AOL account. Yeah. And that's the part that's really exciting. We have instead of all this unstructured data running around healthcare that nobody can make sense of and then it gets really hard to store or, you know, show to a doctor, we've got a standard structured way to move the data around, which opens the door to a national interoperability network, right? Now, the and second why, big again, why do I care? Don't use all these big words. We, we've got really smart healthcare people who are still getting lost. I mean, look at David's face. He's he's yeah. he's, he's he he wants to hang on to his analog devices, right, David? John, how can I, say, like how can I say no to how can I say no to an assertion like that, John? But I mean, <laughs> you know, you talk about President Washington and Adams and Jefferson and all that, but you know, there there have been some lessons learned along the way, and I would say that the Cures Act which you have been known to praise uh, on other shows, John, is an example of people you know, learning from the history and figuring out where do they really want to go. And but I what think was different really about enabling. the Cures Act, David? But David, talk a little bit about that. I think that's a really good point. But what's different about the Cures Act than meaningful use, which turned into meaningful money for the IT, HCIT businesses that didn't turn into a lot of meaningful use? What's going to be different this time? John, I'm asking the questions here. I, you know, ask me to answer a question. <laughs> so all the, do you want to bail them out here? Look, this is this is the consumer opportunity right now. This is the first time we've said out loud under regulation that blocking a patient, blocking you and I, access to our data um, cannot be blocked, and entities that hold your your personal health information can't stop you from requesting it and getting it. Which is so. There's two more really important things in a machine readable format. So that doesn't mean they can send you back a, a fax and they can't charge you for it. Um, and those are really meaningful things here for consumers to finally get. So now we've got meaningful access to meaningful information. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I think we're, we're in that phase too. I think it's still early and that's why Credo's here is to make it easier in terms of these access points and what the 21st Century Cures Act mandated. But we're at the early stages where the door is open. We have the distribution of, of standards. And now 
uh, and that installation is done, right? If you think about it, we had to sort of take a decade to install all this stuff. And now it's about distribution. Now it's about access and having real regulation that says you as a patient deserve and nobody can prevent you from getting um, uh, your health data. And if the fines are actually really interesting, nobody's gotten hit yet, but the fines they're saying per patient, if a health system, if a provider blocks you access to your data, it could be a million dollar fine per record. That is big and meaningful to any health system in the United States. But just think about David, like what I'd love your perspective on what do you think the right use cases are? I mean, we've got, we've gone from analog to digital information, then digital information that no one could read, but would fax back and forth to now people are going to get in trouble if they don't make access to the information. But yeah, why would, why does my 80 year old mom care? Yeah, well, she may or may not care, John, but I think that the, you know, a couple of questions come up. One is now that we've made all this investment uh, in electronic medical records to have it in there, and we say there's no data blocking, it seems like, well, we can just tell people, okay, don't block the data. It doesn't mean that you need a credo to do that, right? You need, you, you could do it yourself, just don't block it and release it. So that's one thing that I think is an interesting point. We'll want to understand that a little bit more. Um, but also, if you, you know, before you have the data, you don't really know what you can do with it. You spend all your time trying to collect faxes and get the wrong information sent to you and print stuff out. You can't do that much with it. You think about the data we have for, for other sorts of uses. I mean, even if you think about not medical, but just from a well-being standpoint, the ability to collect things with your Fitbit or your Apple Watch or whatever, then allows you to build all sorts of applications and things on that. Similarly, with your uh, your financial records, uh, not just having things printed out. You know, you have companies that have, that have done a lot with that. And I think what uh, Credo is is doing is is assembling that information so that these use cases can develop. Some of them are apparent right now. So, if I'm a provider organization and I'm being held accountable for the quality of care and the cost of care, well, I want to make sure that that test isn't repeated because I'm paying for it. And I want to make sure that I know what the person's medical history is, the patient is, because that's how they're going to get a better outcome. So those are a couple yeah. of things. And there's probably and, more on top of that. And, yeah, and what's so crazy about so, this, so, we have a term for this in healthcare. I mean, this is the nuts part about this. We call it chart chasing. We, we actually have decided that as a group, we're going to, we're going to just call it what it is in chart chase. And and this is the part that really stuck home for me so when I started you go there, providers. You, yeah, but but if you go you go there, Carm, before you before you go chasing the cart or the chart or whatever. Yeah, don't put the chart what, before the horse. Put, put, put the, the chart before the, the chariot. Is that what you're saying? The the, the chart before so, the horse. So t- tell us why why would a provider why does if my mother doesn't care because David doesn't care about my mother anymore. What about my doctor? Why does my doctor care? Why does David's doctor care? I mean, he's very, the psychiatrist is very busy. Why does David's psychiatrist care about pulling that chart? Well, I, I think today we've got to separate providers into fee-for-service and value. The fee-for-service, you could actually make the inverse argument that they don't want it because they want to do more tests and they want to charge you more money. If we really think about value, right? If I'm a provider doing value-based care and I've got a capitated payment for my patient population, I want to minimize any duplication of tests. I want to make sure I'm on top of any issues a patient has. And if I'm blind to their medical record, that's a huge deal. And then the third thing is just pure patient experience. How weird it is, you know, you go and you get some sort of scan and then a week later, your doctor says, oh, I want to do the scan again. You say, why? Well, we don't have your record, so we're just doing it again. That's a very bad patient experience. And 
Uh, a lot of the the plans and providers we've talked to that are doing this uh, see this a lot. You know, just in the U.S., just one more statistic: there are twenty billion dollars of wasteful radiology tests per year because they don't have the record. Twenty billion dollars, and that cost is falling on patients and payers that have to cover that. And so we've really got to get on this endeavor together, like to make a simple on ramp. And this is what Credo's trying to do: where these payers and providers who are at risk want the data. We want to be a great on-ramp to do that now digitally, right? Let's move away from phone and fax and start to digitally on-ramp patients with their data. And that's the real exciting part here. And that's the means to the end, right? This isn't a PHR thing that we're trying to do. We're really trying to help you get better care, prevent duplicate tests, create a better experience for you as a patient. And that's our endeavor here and what we're so excited about at Credo. So, John, you know, you you inadvertently uh, made a point in your attempt to insult me. You know, I am... Uh, of course, an open book, thanks to all the disclosure that you do. But so let's say for my psychiatrist. Now, one of the things that's different uh, here is that if I go and like request my record, uh, there should be ways to do it in a digital era where I can say, hey, I actually want my mental health records suppressed. I might want my HIV status suppressed. And you can actually tweak that for different purposes. And, you know, for my life insurance, maybe I need to disclose my genetic test or my mental health, but for some others, I, I may not. And I think it, it allows the patient to actually have finer control over what's happening and also to have an audit trail potentially to say, you know, who actually has this? It didn't just get faxed all over the place with no record of it. I can actually see where it went. And then I think about if, if we are, we talk about doing these broader use cases later on, once the data is in place, if you've got these finer controls, if I have more confidence in where my information is flowing, then I'm going to be more uh, open to the idea of sharing it and maybe combining it with other information. For example, things like real world evidence uh, that is going to supplement just the pure medical record. Yeah. And, and I, think, I, this I, is I just, what, just, just, yeah, just, I think David's on a really important point. Um, finally, where he, David, the, if we really leverage AI to start doing insurance and start doing auto insurance and life insurance, you could easily see your information flowing around, really affecting people profiling you in ways that could be pretty prejudicial to you. I mean, it's, in, it's a really interesting use case where once the information truly becomes as available as it was, as it was supposed to 20 years ago, it could be quite dangerous. And then I think, I, I think you, it, you made the point about machine readable CARM. That's actually a really powerful thing, but it, it's potentially, to David's point, really quite quite dangerous as well because imperfect information, incomplete information, could be quite biased. And yeah. I think the other the other kind of interesting use case is you know drug drug interactions, which are easily avoidable with this mm -hmm. kind of sharing of standardized information you know, kill tens of thousands of people a year in the U.S. and cost a, a close to $180 billion. If we actually could just de-prescribe or re-prescribe in a, in, a, in a less dangerous way, we'd be saving lives and reducing costs. And I, I think that, that, that that's the, that for me, David and, and Carmen, that's the most urgent use case. Yeah, I think that this is the part that's so exciting in that we're putting the shift, right, even if you think about just chart chasing today from provider to provider, that's really provider to provider. The patient's not really involved once they sign the release. Now what we have is a way, and, and this is our hope in that we've put that set, the patient more at the center and they're in the control of the sharing and who it goes to. And to, to David's point, right? What are we, what are we sharing? 
right? And what's the sensitive stuff we don't want to share? What we, do we want to share? And then, John, I think you're making this really great point of where we, you know, my aspirations, I have some pretty, um, I want to get 100 million people on this platform within 10 years. That's my commitment. Um, and I really think that's possible. We've seen this in the financial space with companies like Credit Karma, and I think the same thing is true here. But once we have all that data, once patients are in control it and have a real picture, these opportunities become immense in terms of what we can do while still giving the patient that privacy and control that they ultimately want. But if they want to get a new insurance plan and they want to bump up you know, their claims or their medical record to that, to just for that one instance to pick a plan, that's a great use case, right? There's all these wonderful opportunities once you start to empower patients. The problem today is that there's a lot of effort. It takes a lot of effort to even get on, on board under these digital access points. And the second thing is uncertainty. You know, David's, you know, parents probably don't remember, right, uh, the, where they got care two years ago, right? I don't remember ago. where I got I don't care, remember, right? <laughs> Um, and so, uh, especially post COVID, I can't remember a thing these days. So I do remember uh, the name of my psychiatrist, but I don't remember that where I got care two years ago. Where you got care. Exactly. And that's the point here. You know, that's what Credo is trying to do is in these events where it's a requirement and you need it and it's urgent and you feel that, that, that opportunity, that's our opportunity to, to inter intercede with a patient and help them get the data they need and not to get it onto their phone. The last step in our process is to who do you want to share it with? I want to share it with my my doctor, right? Um, or or you know my specialist who I'm going to see. That's the process we want to support these at risk entities in and in patients, and and that's what I'm so excited about. I mean, this is I think the next ten years are going to be so interesting as we predict. You know, we move from this phone and fax world. And I'm curious, I mean, when was the last time either of you used a fax? I love a fax. I love it. You love it. Well, David, I mean, I don't, I know the last time we had this, we spent the whole time talking about Tesla and how David had not bought a Tesla yet, I think was the last. So we know David, you're a little bit behind the curve. Yeah. We'll get you, we'll get you back up to speed. That's here good. Now speaking about being, machine. speaking about being behind the curve, there's a, there's a conference coming up this month. Uh, down in Miami Beach, and we're, we're discussing how to pronounce it. It's either Vive, 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 or Vivian. I'm not sure which, but it's a it's a new health information Vive technology. Vive 2022. All right, Vive, yeah. Vive, Revive, Revive. That's next year. I'll be. They could just call it Vive 2022 this year and Revive 2022 next year if they can't come up with a new agenda. But you're going to be down there, Carm. And what do you expect to get out of it? And uh, how are you going to announce yourself to the world? Yeah, so we're we're officially launching on Monday of the conference. So is, are we day. breaking news here? You are breaking news, John. This this I know this is coming out this week, so we're super excited that this is the moment. Got to get our producer Vincent to front run the announcement. Yeah, yeah, so this is a big announcement. This is the launch of the company. We're launching our our funding on uh, in the next week as well, um, which is a pretty big number for a seed based company, I think. And. We're, we're going to be holding a big reception at the Ball uh, Museum right across the street from the conference Monday night. We're actually, you know, this is, we, a, I'm David, going to give you David, a little did you hint. Get an, did you get an invite, David? Did you get an invite? I I'm actually, invite. John, I'm going to be in Florida uh, yeah. the week before. So I'm, I got an invite, but I can, my skin can only handle, as you know, as you have, since you've read my medical record, you would know and looked at me that I can't be out. I can't be in, in Florida for more than two Mellow days Alma a year. Williams. For John, for you, because I know your schedule's packed. Here's the teaser. We've hired a local artist to do a memorial for things that need to go away in healthcare. 
That's what's going to be at the museum. Nice. So we're going to have this really cool event. It's going to be unique. You only get to launch once. So I want to do something really cool. We're going to, we're going to really look at things that need to go away. Um, we've got over 115 people already RSVP'd to the event. So I'm super excited to, to launch the company. I think we're going to be doing a lot of big things. Um, I wish I could talk about some of our first customers who are well-known and great, great um, participants in value-based care and doing some really innovative stuff. And we're great grateful to have them as partners, but that will come in the coming weeks. So um, yes, you will all be invited. David, you just need to come back down. That's the okay. only answer right now. You got to just turn around and just, or stay, don't leave. Okay. That's the answer. Well, good. Well, so I'll have some time to pack up. Why don't we call it quits right there? Carm and John say that's it for yet another edition of Care Talk, this time with Carm Huntress from Credo Health. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And Carm, thank you so much. And I'm John Driscoll, for the CEO of CareCentrics. And if you like what you heard or you didn't and you want to continue your wonky news updates where we have the best discussions of healthcare, please subscribe on your favorite service.